My name is Gerald Tostawork. I'm a licensed real estate agent in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and you're listening to The Real World of Real Estate. Today, we've got a real interesting topic of discussion, self-storage and in self-storage investment. My guest today is Tom Dunkel with Bellrose Self-Storage. Tom, welcome to the show. Why don't you take a minute to tell the folks a bit about yourself? Sure, Gerald. Hey, appreciate uh, being on the show today, and thank you to you and the and the listeners. Uh, yeah, my name's Tom Dunkel. I'm Chief Investment Officer uh, here at Bellrose Self Storage. Uh, we're headquartered outside of Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, but what's funny is we don't really own any storage around here. <laughs> Our storage is in uh, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, uh, Kentucky. Uh, we're looking at a few things in Tennessee and Alabama, and the reason for that is we're trying to take advantage of the demographic trends of folks in the U.S. moving uh, to the southeast. And so the population's moving there, the jobs are moving there, the infrastructure investments. And so we, uh, we're we looking to take advantage of those demographic positives to because uh, those are going to help push uh, demand for self-storage. So uh, at, the, at the current moment, we've got about a quarter million square feet of, uh, of self-storage across uh uh, those seven states. And uh, we have a fantastic team. We've got a great operations team. And so what we do basically is we we buy self-storage facilities that are being poorly run and by moms and pops, and uh, they don't really run it like a business. So we come in with our uh, professional business systems and technology and applications and our, our operations team, and we turn those facilities around and uh, we create some value there for, for ourselves and for our investors. Oh, cool. Okay, great. And uh, and I guess you've got 25 years experience, real estate and investment experience. I do. Yeah, I've been around a little bit. I I was spent some time in the corporate world. Uh, I was actually uh, started out in doing mergers and acquisitions in the aerospace industry. So that was pretty cool. I, I did some work with uh, some some astronauts and some uh, fighter pilots and uh, Air Force colonels and uh, Marines. And so it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a great foundation, uh, some really smart, talented, uh, ambitious people. Uh, and then I left corporate America and I started doing uh, real estate uh, about 16, almost going on 17 years ago. Uh, and if you do the math, that puts us right before the Great Recession. <laughs> so uh, I learned some hard lessons those first few years as an entrepreneur. But yeah, it's been a great run the last uh, 16, 17 years. Oh, cool. All righty. Well, thank you very much. Well, let's let's start out with some of the, um, on, a, on a generic level, a general level, and then we'll kind of move more to the specific. And so let's, let's start out with... Uh, I want to start with a couple of things. I don't know if you which one you want to deal with first. I was thinking of maybe first talking about direct real estate investments versus fund investments, and then maybe get into the pitfalls for high net worth investors, or those are the kind of the first two, but I don't know where to start. Which which one did you want to start sure. with? Sure. Yeah. So uh, we, we can start with the fund versus direct and then kind of go from there. Uh, so a, as an investor myself, I know I always like to be uh, well aligned with uh, the, the sponsor of the of the opportunity. Uh, so for me personally, uh, I, I like the direct uh, investment model where uh, instead of money going into a blind pool, uh, we're not not quite sure where those monies are going to be allocated. Uh, we we raise money for our deals uh, one at a time. And I think, uh, again, I think that aligns the interests of the sponsor and the investor uh, really well. It, it provides a lot of transparency. 
uh, to the investor, which I know is very important. They like that level of communication and uh, that transparency. It helps to build trust. Uh, and so they know exactly where their dollars are going. So uh, again, as an investor myself, I've, I've invested in other people's deals and I like, I like the, the one on the one uh, direct deal at a time uh, kind of, kind of method. So uh, that's my two cents on that. I'm sure someone could argue the other side and you know, I guess it's uh, that's why there's chocolate and vanilla, Gerald. So if I, okay. So if I understand correctly, uh, there's the the fund type, which is where you simply put your money into a a pooled fund pooled money, and it may go into well, I guess a little bit of every investment. But you're saying with your business model, you do direct investment. Each investor invests in a particular project. Is that that's correct? And and okay, and it gets more direct involvement, more uh, accountability. Is that? Yeah, it's still passive for the investor, but yeah, with the accountability is that's a that's a great point. Uh, keeps us accountable because we we track our key performance indicators at each of our self storage facilities. So we're tracking the physical occupancy, the economic occupancy, uh, the auto, how many of the customers are on auto pay, uh, the delinquency, how many people are on tenant uh, protection, and so we're keeping a close eye on all of those. Uh, key performance indicators or KPIs so that we can adjust on the fly uh, as as we move forward with the project. You're running like a darn business. I know. How about that? <laughs> cool. Okay, well, let's swing then. <clears throat> and I think that leads nicely to the next thing I wanted to ask you is, so for high net worth investors, what are some of the pitfalls and, and how how would you avoid, avoid them? Sure. Yeah. So again, as an investor myself, I've been uh, ever since I left corporate America in 2006. I've been investing in my own deals, but also in other people's deals. And I think as as uh, investors kind of grow and mature and become more sophisticated, uh, they look to things outside of uh, the regular stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, and they start looking at things, you know, like real estate investing and maybe lending or uh, precious metals. Who knows what else? But uh, there are a number of pitfalls that folks need to look out for, um, and we actually um, we have an ebook on our website uh, that addresses this exact topic. It's called we we call it the Safe Method. S A F E is a uh, it's an acronym. Uh, S stands for sponsor, A stands for asset, F stands for financials, and E stands for exit. And when you're looking at a as an investor, if you're looking at a real estate deal or something that's not a a, a public market kind of deal. Uh, those are the key things you need to pay attention to to make sure that you're not making a mistake. Uh, so S for sponsor, you want to ask a ton of questions of the sponsor. Uh, what's their track record? You know, what's their background? How has their performance been? Uh, anyway, the ebook gives the, all the list of questions there to ask. And then A is asset. What is it that you're actually investing in? Uh, people that invest with us at, at Bellrose Self Storage, they're buying membership interests in an LLC in a company that owns the self storage facility. But uh, I'd love to ha- I'd love to have someone who's uh, you know investing in Bitcoin tell me you know what are you, what is it exactly that you're investing in? What is that asset? Can you explain it to your mother in law? <laughs> you know those kinds of things. Um, and then of course financial F is for financials. Uh, so are the are the projections reasonable? Are they believable? Are they achievable? Has the sponsor delivered on those kinds of projections in the past? And those those kinds of questions. And then E is for exit. Uh, 
how do you get out of this thing? It's not like a stock or a bond where you can go to schwab.com and click, 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 you know, sell your position and get your money in three days. Uh, our deals are typically, you know, two or three year deals. If there's a development component associated with it, it could be five or more years. And so as an investor going into an opportunity like that, it's just something you need to be aware of. And, you know, that's a good point because I think a lot of maybe first time or less sophisticated investors often forget about the exit part of the the deal. I know some years back, we invested in a multifamily building with uh, my my best friend and his wife, me and my wife and his sister. You know, <laughs> it was my best friend for 25 years and we never mm. had a fight. No. And, uh, we no longer, it's a sad story, we no longer speak. Really? We no longer speak, yeah. And oh, that's uh, a part shame. Of it was they wanted an exit, an unplanned exit, mm. um, and it just went it went kind of sideways from there. So it, it speaks to the importance, you know. I they used to call us older folks will get this joke. Younger folks <laughs> may not. I don't know if, if you're old enough to remember Mutt and Jeff. <laughs> just barely. Just barely. They used to call us Mutt and Jeff because we'd hang out. We would be always together. Okay. Uh, so it speaks to the importance of planning, you know, all of those, including the exit, right? Having Absolutely. Yeah. You really want to know that before you go into the deal, right? So you know what you're getting into yeah. 100%. Okay. Well, let's, let's dig a little more deeply, not deeply, let's more dig a little directly into the, uh, let's drill down into the self storage and talk about. So someone considering self storage as an investment, what are the risks that they could, should consider? Sure. Uh, well, like we just talked through, Gerald, I mean, the, the sponsor is really a, a key factor. Uh, we've worked with many investors over the years, and uh, because they've built up some trust with us and we've performed for them and delivered for them, you know, they they don't, uh, you know, they're, they're very trusting and, and, you know, it's not that they don't look at the deals that we present to them, but they know that, you know, we're putting our money where our mouth is and, you know, we're, we're all aligned to deliver. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, I have been in deals in the past where maybe the sponsor was new and I didn't know it or I didn't realize it or I didn't ask the right questions. Um, so I think uh, and we've actually had one of our investors is a nine figure net worth guy, meaning over a hundred million dollar net worth. And he was the one that told us you know, when he's looking at these kinds of opportunities, he's spending a lot of time assessing the sponsorship risk as compared to any of the other potential risk. So I, I think that's a big one that uh, folks need to you know drill down into. And you know, just because someone has a fancy website or a glossy brochure, it doesn't mean that they're the right sponsor for you. So I think there you need to, as an investor, you need to ask those questions and get to that level of comfort so that ultimately you can sleep at night knowing that that sponsor is is uh, managing your investment dollars. What about economic risk? Like these days, you know, not everybody's got, everybody had a boat and a trailer and that, and now things are kind of taking a little bit of a change thanks to our friend COVID and thanks to the fun politics in the world these days. The economic risks, do they affect the self-storage much? Gerald, that's a great question. And uh, one of the things we love about self-storage is for 40 years, so think about the booms and the busts and the expansions and the downturns over that period of time. Throughout that entire period of time, self-storage occupancy at facilities around the United States has gently meandered between 80 and 90% over that time period. So 
even though the rental rates might fluctuate, the fact that these storage facilities are maintaining that level of occupancy, it means that they're generating consistent income in good times and bad times and everywhere in between. And the reason is uh, during good times, uh, people are buying things, right? They're buying, 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 and they you know buy too much <laughs> and they need a place for their extra stuff, their extra toys, their bikes, their kayaks, you know, their holiday decorations, what have you. Uh, and then in bad times, Gerald, that's when people really need storage. And so if it's a death or a divorce or downturn or a displacement, any of those kinds of things, uh, that's going to really force somebody to maybe downsize their house or combine houses with somebody else to save some money. And so that extra furniture and other stuff is going to be placed in the, in the storage. And, and of course, COVID was an anomaly, right? It was something that never happened before. But during COVID, all of a sudden, everyone had to work from home. So that extra guest bedroom that they had all of a sudden had to be turned into an office. So they had to take that bedroom furniture and they took that and, and put that into storage as well. So it tends to do very well in good times and in bad times. And I guess just because the economy changed too, you can't pick up and s just sell your house overnight and buy something with more storage space. I mean, so yeah, I guess that makes sense that uh, mm -hmm. no matter what the economy, it, it, it there's always going to be some demand for it. So it's interesting. So it's set between 80 to 90% occupancy, good times and bad. Well, that's, that's interesting because right. I know in the, uh, in the uh, hotel motel, in market, you know, in the bad times, the vacancies can drop, I think, below 50 percent. Oh, vacancies, yeah. The occupancies, sorry. Um, you know. Sure. Well, I think, you know, when when things turn bad, probably the first thing a family does is, you know, they cut the, the family vacation budget down to, to zero. So they're they're staying at home instead of going to the hotel. Yeah. OK. All right. So I, I guess I'm assuming that self-storage um Self-storage is good for a retirement account. I'm guessing in the States, you have the IRA's investment retirement account. Canada, we have re registered retirement savings plans and many different countries have their own plans. And I know the the rules are different from country to country somewhat, mm -hmm. but the concept is the same. So how do they work? Are they good investment in an IRA, an RSP, in, in a retirement plan? How do, How does that work? Sure, I think so. Uh, IRAs are, are a great place to, to build wealth over time uh, so that folks can be ready for retirement. And uh, it's something that needs to be well taken care of, right? So the investments that are made in that retirement account, because they do have those tax benefits, uh, I've sadly, I've made investments in my own self-directed IRA uh, that haven't worked out. So I not only lose that money, but I lose that tax benefit over time. And so that's that's a big problem. So I think having a hard asset like real estate gives, provides for capital preservation, which is very important. Uh, uh, self-storage provides for cash flow. So there's going to be payments going into the self-directed uh, self IRA account, helping to increase that balance over time. And then as everybody knows, over time, real estate I know increases in value. I know there can be ups and downs and bumps in the road here and there, but I'll take those bumps in the road over the stock market bumps in the road any day of the week. So the security, the income and the growth of a real estate play like self-storage in a, in a retirement account, I think makes a lot of sense. Okay. So you mentioned something interesting there. So a very good point with, there's, with real estate, there's always that physical asset. 
So I'm assuming through the, the self-storage model, like I'm going to assume through the Bellrose model, at least anyways, and probably other self-storage models, that the investors do have a direct ownership in the real estate as well. Is that, a, is that correct? So the way that our, our uh, partnerships are structured, Gerald, is the there's a, a company that's formed in the U.S. It's an LLC, a limited liability corporation, typically. And that LLC owns the land and the storage facility. And then the owners of that LLC are the investors and the and the sponsors together. So they own interests in a company that owns the land. So it's about as direct as you can get without actually having the, the investor's name on the deed. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's extra benefits by owning it through a corporation. Are there not tax benefits to everyone? I think. Oh sure, yeah, and 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 liability just benefits. like the name of it is called, right? A limited liability company, right? So if if uh, you know if if something bad happens at the facility, somebody gets hurt, you know the they their recourse is to the company, not to the investor, to the individual. That that's the limited liability that the investors are provided. Yeah. Now this this is something I wasn't going to ask, but you mentioned it at the beginning, and I thought, oh, what an interesting question. So if you're able to answer it. You mentioned about how you follow the demographics. Are you able to fill us in a bit on here's the kind of demographics that are uh, that we look for in a self storage investment? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So we, when we uh, first learn of a facility that might be for sale, uh, what we do is we we run a full. We have these databases that we subscribe to, and they give us all kinds of uh, demographic information. So that's information about. Uh, the population is it growing or declining? Obviously, you know we like to see a, 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 a at least a modestly growing population. Mm -hmm. uh, we like to see that there are jobs there in a diversified economy. It's not a one factory town kind of thing. Um, and we also like to see that the uh, population there is is earning money, right? Because they need to have money to buy things to then store them. So we like to see the their um, household income in the uh, you know. 60, 70,000 uh, area. And we don't want it too high because if it's too high, that means people can afford to buy a house, a big house that has lots of storage. In it. <laughs> if it's too low, then we're going to run into delinquency problems and people not being able to afford storage. So we like to find that medium area. Um, and then, of course, we're looking for uh, you know, lower crime areas and lower poverty areas uh, just to make sure that our facility uh, is in a great location, just like other asset classes within real estate, right? It's location, location, location. Uh, here's just a just a fun question I thought of. I, I, <laughs> do they? I, I don't even know. I don't watch the show, but there's that show with those guys that go to self storages and they bid on them. And the, there's the one guy that goes yep yeah. or something like that. Or, <laughs> does it actually happen like that? Yeah. Do they when when someone do they come to your facility and that how you bid you bid it off or? That's just a yeah. curiosity thing. No, no, I, I, I hate to, uh, I hate to kill the theatrics and the entertainment value there for you, Gerald. But no, that's not how it happens uh, these days. That you mean reality that, TV isn't total reality. It's not. I, yeah, I know. I hate to tell you, but it's reality TV isn't necessarily real. Actually, all of our auctions, and because we do, unfortunately, have to auction things off from time to time. But uh, that it, it's all virtual. It's all online uh so our managers will take photos of the uh of the stuff that's in the in the unit and those pictures are posted online and there are people out there that just based on the pictures they'll they'll bid and so there'll be an auction bidding 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 
And then the auction ends, whoever the high bidder, bidder is, they have, uh, I believe, 48 hours to come and get their stuff. And uh, then, uh, you know, unlike in multifamily, when we have a, a customer move out or we have an auction situation, we're oftentimes able to get that unit up and ready to be rented that same day, because all we're doing really is having to sweep it out. Because let's face it, Gerald, these are metal boxes with concrete floors and roll up doors. It's not a fancy apartment, you know, where you're wanting to change out the countertop, you know, for granite and upgrade the lighting package and do the paint and the carpet. And, you know, those things that take a lot of time and money, uh, you know, these are very basic structures. So we're able to turn them around quickly. Okay. Well, thanks. Uh, uh... You stole my TV thunder there. <laughs> All righty. Well, I only have one last question for you. We talked about the risks of self-storage. So we'll flip it around. And what are the benefits of self-storage? Why should someone consider investing in a self-storage? Who's it for? What's, you know? Sure. Well, uh, you, you know, over the years, I've been in a number of different asset classes. You know, I used to be a, a rental uh, property owner and a landlord. I've done the fix and flip stuff on the residential side. I've also done some hard money lending and uh, you know, invested in all kinds of things. But when I found self-storage in about the 2017, 2018 timeframe, I mean, it just really made a lot of sense to me, Gerald, because of some of the things we touched on earlier. It's it's real estate, right? It's a, it's a hard asset um, and it's a cash flowing business that's sitting on top of that real estate, right? So it generates that cash flow. Um, and it and it does provide growth over time. So as an investor, you know you're a lot of times on the depending on the investment you're looking at, you know you're lucky to get two out of those three key important things: security, income, and growth. But in self storage, you're really getting all three. And then to throw in a fourth one is you're you're getting tax benefits as well. Uh, at least in the U.S., uh, the depreciation um, gets written off of the income of the facility every year. And that provides lower taxable income to the investor, but they've been receiving a high level of, of cash flow. So, um, and just one other highlight I like to throw out to folks, because of course, a lot of real estate investors uh, have invested in multifamily like, like I have. Um, Self-storage has a one key benefit uh, over, over multifamily is that for every $100 of rent that comes into our storage facility, uh, it costs us about $30, 30 to $40 to run that facility. So that leaves us 60 or $70 afterwards to pay our debt service and then pay our investors a nice cash flow dividend. So uh, in multifamily, it's the other way around. So uh, their operating expenses are typically, you know, 60 or $70 uh, for every $100 that comes in. So it's a, well, it's a higher cash flowing uh, asset class, it's lower default rates. Uh, so it's, it has a number of advantages over multifamily, even though I am a multifamily investor and a, and a fan. Uh, I, when I found self-storage, I just I just really was excited about it and, and built a company to go uh, build a little uh, self-storage portfolio. Interesting. And I guess with the, with the uh, self-storage as well, there's a lot less regulations than multifamily. There's Tenant landlord and tenant acts, and they're different than every state and every province. Uh, so that's probably, a, I'm guessing, a lot less, a lot less. What's the word I'm looking for? Work and effort in that regard. A lot less onerous, I would say. But yeah, I was uh, I was trying to keep my answer brief, Gerald. But yeah, if I could go over one more step, I would agree with you 100. Uh, percent 
because in the residential world, that, that habitational kind of real estate, yeah, you're going to end up in landlord tenant court for any kind of dispute. Whereas in storage, it's uh, governed by lien laws. So it's very much in favor of the property owner when there's a delinquency or a, a problem with a, with a tenant. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. please, please, sir, that's, that's all the questions I had for you. So uh, at the end of my show, I always like, I open the floor. If there's, if there's something I haven't asked you or, or something you want to expand on, the, the floor is yours. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, Gerald. It's It's been great being with you today. I appreciate it very much. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I guess I would just say, um, you know, it's easy to buy real estate. If you if you pay full price or over asking price and you and you pay cash and you close tomorrow, you can buy as much real estate as you can get your hands on. Uh, but then you have to run it. Right. So I think uh, I think I'd like to highlight for people out there that because uh, I think some people might say, oh, I think I'm going to go buy a self-storage facility or I might go buy an apartment complex. You know, you you have to be able to run it. Because otherwise, you know, you really put yourself at risk of uh, financial loss if, if you're not able to property, properly run these uh, these real estate assets. So I'm really proud of our operations team. Uh, we have a, our, our rock star on that team is Catherine East. She's been in the uh, self-storage industry for over 15 years, actually, I think over 16 years now. And so she's she's a rock star. She's been all across the country. Uh, doing transition work and audit work and operations uh, management consulting uh, for self storage. So we're really lucky to have her on our team, and and we have a, a operations group around her, and they really can execute on our value add strategies so that we can create value uh, for ourselves and for our investors. So uh, I just like to highlight that you know it's easy to buy real estate; it's hard to run it, but we've got that part down pretty good. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Tom. I really appreciate it. It's been very informative. Uh, Self-storage is an interesting topic. I know it's a, it's a bit, been around as a business model for a number of years now and, and doing well. So uh, thank you very much. Folks, again, if you like the show, remember to give us those five-star ratings, some good reviews, some likes. Uh, share the podcast with all your friends. Support the podcast. That's it. You've been listening to The Real World of Real Estate. Bye for now.